the more you shame yourself, the less um, capable you feel, um, the less loving you feel. If we're talking about food and nourishment and nurturing yourself, um, there is a whole narrative that starts with, I don't deserve it, right? I didn't eat well yesterday, so I don't deserve to have this today. It's, it's really detrimental to one's mental health and so physical health. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with life coach Ashley Thomas, who has created a program called Crave, which is designed to help people heal emotional eating by unwrapping the gift of a hungry heart. Ashley has been working with me as my coach for years now, and to say that she is a treasure is an understatement. Ashley has a capacity to meet her clients wherever they are and offer unconditional support that is unsurpassed. If you have ever thought about coaching, I strongly suggest that you reach out to Ashley and have an exploratory call with her. I am so happy to have Ashley as a returning guest to the show to talk about her new program and frankly just to share the wisdom and love that she brings to every situation. I am so fortunate to have worked with her as my coach, which has completely reshaped how I understand myself and the world around me. Thank you so much to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Ashley Thomas. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. How are you, Walker? I'm good, thank you. Um, So, Ashley, I am beyond thrilled to have you back on the Walk Show. Um, Longtime listeners may remember that you came on the show back in the fall of 2019 in my first uh, first season of the Walk Show and one of the earliest guests that I had. And... um, Sometime in the weeks following that conversation that we had on the show, which was the first time we had met, uh, you actually um, began working with me as my life coach. And I have been working with you as my coach for close to two years now, or no, over two years now, I guess. I'm bad at math. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so just wanted to, to get that disclosure out there and, and so people understand our the nature of our relationship um, we're not here to talk about me, <laughs> which I know most people are surprised by because that's what I like to talk about the most. Um, but anyway, we're actually here today to talk about a new coaching um, program that you've designed called Crave. Uh, what are you hungry for? Um, so I do want to dive into that. But in case uh, you know we, we have new listeners that maybe aren't familiar with that older episode, um, I do want to kind of just open up by by talking about you a little bit and, and, and kind of introducing folks to, to Ashley a little bit. So um, I guess we'll start with what, what part of the country are you, are you located in? Oh yeah. Thank you, Walker. I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Mm. So exciting, diverse, interesting part of the country. Yeah. yeah. You survived New York COVID, which was bonkers. Like that was crazy (laughs) when all that i mean it was crazy everywhere but that was like the beginning was there (laughs) we've survived a lot and that's kind of yeah kind of we take pride in that this is so random but i so i follow uh sarah silverman on instagram i think love her she cracks me up so she back whenever the when when covid was new um 
she used to share videos of like everyone like banging pots and pans outdoors, like at a certain time. Did you participate in that? Is what I'm saying familiar? Or... <laughs> yeah, we did that. So I think it was around us um, 7 p.m. for the shift change. Okay. For healthcare workers, uh, frontline employees, and just to make a noise when we were kind of also isolated too. But you bang that pot and your neighbors can hear you, even if you can't go over to their house and talk to them. And to let the people know, the the frontline workers, the nurses, the doctors, that we saw them and we appreciated what they did. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it was definitely remarkable to see <laughs> how, how important uh, different jobs that we might otherwise not. I mean, paramedics and that sort of thing, I think people generally already think are important, but it was certainly highlighted even down to something that's more mundane, though, like your local barista or <laughs> grocery store clerk became... It was like, wow, we really do need these people. So, <laughs> Can I just tell you about our bodega person, yeah. right? So you have the big chain drugstores coming in, CVS, Rite Aid, and they didn't have items that you needed. But your corner barista <laughs> who calls you boss and who has this random stuff, they seem to have what you need. Mm-hmm. And it... it it made me realize the danger of having one stream of, you know, people providing your neighborhood person, your strange little odd store on the corner. They have what you need. Big chains. The danger of that is when their supply chain falls, um, you're in trouble. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Of all the, the terrible things that COVID brought, which is almost exclusively what it was, there were some highlights, I think like, like highlighting the importance of, of, of jobs that maybe otherwise don't get that, that level of shine. Um, either way, I've completely gone off into a rabbit hole of a random we conversation we about COVID. That. Yeah. Well, you've, yeah, you've talked to me plenty, so you know how it goes. Um, so, so then I want to talk, I want to ask, I mean, how long have you been, been working as a coach? What got you into coaching? How, how'd you get started there? Right. So I, um, since my graduation from um, Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, I've had a, basically two years of coaching and I went to the national board, passed my boards for national board certified health coach. And it's been a great time to do it. It's been really fulfilling. What brought me into coaching was, you know, when you find yourself doing something just in your daily life. And you're like, Oh wait, that's a job title. People need that. (laughs) Right. And I think that for me, a lot of it was people need to be listened to. Mm. And people really do have the answers. If you just give them a minute to process, to be listened to hold space for them. And when I went into trying to find what gave me pleasure, it was, you know, inspiring people or helping them tap into their own inspiration. Mm. And it was health and wellness because that's a big category, right? It's your physical health, which is very important. But you can't have physical health if you don't have healthy relationships, um, meaningful work, even if you're retired, meaningful work. Um, And I began to see the big picture and how valuable it was to listen to people as the whole person. People present with a problem, but that's not it. It's it's a web 
And when I started doing that work and getting trained in that work, it was amazing and fulfilling. Um, so I think I came into it sort of just being a woman or being a mom, right? Being, trying to take care of people. I worked in an office. I worked in a law firm. Mm. And the lawyers would come to me with what they ate that day or what stresses they felt. And I really, I recognize that my contribution to that law firm was not my filing or my typing or legal research. It was listening to people who were trying to lead a full, balanced, healthy life. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. I think that, I think that, um, what that leads me to is something that, you know, I've, I've interviewed a variety of coaches uh, since you originally came on the show <laughs> back in 2019. And I've also had the opportunity to, to interview psychologists and, and that sort of thing. And, and when I talk to other people about whether it be, you know, counseling or, or coaching, which are not the same, but I think that they, at least in some situations can provide similar benefits. Um, Again, I don't mean to imply that they're one and the same, but but either way, when I talk to people about that, the, a sentiment that I, I commonly get is that people seem to want or seem to have a perception that the coach or the counselor, whoever it may be, we'll just go with the coach, um, is going to be someone that provides answers to them, right? That That says, tell me what your problem is, and then I will provide you with a solution to that problem. And that's not <laughs> how it actually works at all. And, and I think that you talking about listening as being the, 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 you know, the primary skill um, or talent that you have that, that drew you to this illustrates that <laughs> wonderfully um, because you're, the, the talent wasn't answer giving. <laughs> uh -huh. So can you, can you help me elaborate on that? Like, why is it that giving answers is is actually the opposite of what coaching looks like and it's actually instead more about you know listening and asking questions yeah i love that because i work from the space of believing that everybody is creative resourceful and whole and no one can understand you or what you're going through more than you but oftentimes in the course of our life we're you know, we're trying to please other people or we're trying to, when do we get to just process or tell our story to someone who's not trying to fix us, not judging our story, right? Just listening. How, how often in our daily lives do we get that? It's, it's kind of rare. And what I find when people are allowed to just talk about what's important, talk about what's meaningful, in a space of unconditional positive regard, the magical thing that happens is they're like, and I could actually do this. And you're like, yeah, you could. Mm -hmm. They have it. It's all in there. It's all in there. Um, and sort of, so, so the opposite of that would be if you've ever had somebody try to tell you what to do, fix it for you. And for a split second, there's a relief. Like sometimes with nutrition and with food, I have clients come to me and just tell me what to eat. Just tell me what to eat because it would feel like a relief for someone to just tell me what to do. But we all know what happens after that, which is you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 So if you lead a person 
if you just help a person clarify what's important, then it's easy to figure out what to do. They figure it out. And then their motivation is not to please someone else or because they made a goal. It's because it connects with what is most valuable in their life. So is it having the energy to run around with your grandkids? Is it having sleep and rest and so you have energy for the next day? Is it so that you can do what? So that I can heal the world, so that I can connect with my friends, so that I have energy to, you know, paint, right? It's whatever it is that's calling you. And I don't know what that is, but I can make sacred space for you mm. to explore what that might be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because it's, it, it's so interesting to me how, um, and you, I mean, I've talked to you about this separately and probably have talked about it on the show other times as well, but it's, I'm, I'm struggling to think of the word, I guess it's, would it be like principles? There are things that are like, are true and we can say them in a lot of different ways, but the fundamental truth still exists kind of no matter how it's said, right? So like what you just described, I think makes perfect sense, but like a, a really old um, version of that is teach a man to fish versus giving him a fish, right? Yeah. Like that's basically what we're talking about is like, you could just give an answer and in that day, maybe the person would feel better because as you put it, they have that relief of, they don't have to solve it. They don't have to figure right. it out. But the moment any friction or resistance enters, they don't know how to get back to that conclusion, right? So now the, now the one-time fish is not <laughs> useful in the same way. Whereas teaching people how to talk to themselves, and literally that could be <laughs> in a room talking out loud, but I mean more that constant dialogue that a person has within their, their own mind with themselves. Teaching a person how to negotiate and navigate that is a far better tool because down the line now, whenever they encounter something new, they actually have a toolkit to go back to, to try and, and figure out how to deal with that situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I love the idea of a toolkit because mm. you're going to, people are going to carry on. Um, and so strategies and tools and techniques that when you get a little disoriented, it's an internal locus of power. Yeah. Rather than, external because then you're empowered mm. you're you have a toolkit you have you can carry on you're not dependent on another person mm. and so as a coach it's very important that you make sure you empower your clients yeah so with regard to crave um which again is a new program that you have designed what is crave designed to do yeah, Crave is designed to heal emotional eating difficulties, heal relationships with the body. So Crave means you unlock the gift of a hungry heart. You recognize that your cravings are messages and not something to be suppressed or fought or ashamed of. When they're processed in the right way, they're like the yellow brick road. They lead you exactly where you're supposed to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
No, I think that's I think that's awesome. Um, it, it's something that I I encountered in the last year or so um, when I was going through a, a training session for a, a program. Anyway, in that they, they there was a, a guy talking about addiction, and I know I mean I guess in some cases there are food addictions, right? But it's not specifically or only a, a addiction <laughs> that you're necessarily speaking to here. But either way, he said that th- this fellow that was talking about it said that one of the biggest um, misconceptions that people generally have about addiction is that it's a, um, that it's a genetic trait, right? That like, if you have an addiction, it's because you have an addictive personality or you're, you're prone to addiction. And so that's what it is. And he doesn't argue that there's no evidence that suggests that genetics could have a play into it or, or, or something to that effect. But his, his point is that anytime someone has an addiction or, you know, to take it away from addiction, a a consistent craving for something, right. Um, It's solving a need, right. It's not, it's not just because they rolled the dice and this was the thing that they were going to be stuck with. Like they're solving a problem and whether or not it's an effective solution, it's the one that they've, landed on because <laughs> they might not have even selected it intentionally. Um, and, and it, so it's, I guess my point is that is to, to what you were saying, it's, a, it's there to meet a need. It's not there because of a genetic flaw or a character flaw or <laughs> something's wrong with a person, right? It's, it's um, yeah, there's something real and legitimate that's driving it. Even if that's not obvious. Yeah, all behavior has a reason, yeah. has a has a cause, um, serves a purpose, right? It, it isn't just it isn't just automatic. And sure, there's there's neurological, there's genetic, there's um, there's all those things. But more importantly, I guess where I sort of came up with this program was mm-hmm. just sort of that you know the moment when you're in front of the refrigerator. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we all do. So it can't just be addictive personalities unless we all have addictive personalities, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know a person that doesn't know the experience of opening the refrigerator door because you have this feeling in your stomach, like this ache, this, maybe it's hungry, but it's, and you look and like nothing looks good. (laughs) And you like, so you start on the whatever looks good until you decide what it is that you really want. And if you're trying to be virtuous, maybe you start eating the celery sticks before <laughs> you decide. Otherwise, it's the ice cream while you're thinking about what it is that would really taste good, that would really stop the like the ache in your stomach, right? And it just, and it doesn't work. Or maybe it works for a minute. And so my question is, if you're hungry, then why doesn't eating work? Right. And sometimes it calms your feelings but it it doesn't work because you're not hungry for food and then why is food why do we use food that way because it's easier because what if you're hungry for adventure Mm. or what if you're hungry for creativity Mm. or what if you're hungry for closer relationships that's going to take a lot more risk Mm -hmm. than just pushing down those feelings because they're inconvenient yeah again there's some there's going to be some need that kind of that kind of drives so so let's take that example let's say someone is you know in front of the refrigerator 
what kinds of things would you suggest to that person, you know, to just, and I don't mean to completely overcome it because obviously every individual is unique and there's a lot of nuance to it, like we were just describing, but I mean, what's a, what's a starting place? Well, first of all, one of the things that I like to say is no forbidden fruit. Mm. So the quickest way that you can want to binge on something is to make it forbidden. Mm. So number one, I would say, let's start with nothing's off the table, but let's check in. Let's notice mm. what, what brought me here to this open door of this refrigerator. Mm. Sometimes for women, it's anger. Mm. I mean, everybody's sure, but women are sometimes not considered allowed to be angry. And I've seen a lot of my clients, anger, loneliness, right? So you, che you check in with what you're going to call that feeling as you're in front of the refrigerator. Mm. And where in the body do you feel it? Like anger, is it in the lower gut or anxiety? Is that in your, your upper chest? Like, where do you feel it? Mm. And then just give yourself permission. You can still eat whatever you want to eat, but just give yourself permission to check in and say, I'm eating because I'm feeling this actual feeling in my body that's uncomfortable and I'd like it to go away. Mm. And it's called whatever word you want to assign to it. Right. Yeah, well, and so, I mean, the check-in part of it sounds like there's a bit of kind of a, um, like a mindfulness approach to it. The idea of, hey, let's actually just think about where we are right now. Mm -hmm. Right now. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So mindfulness is a, is a large part of this program. Mm. Um, present moment awareness uh, is how I qualify. Non-judgmental present awareness is what I qualify as mindfulness. Mm. And so further along in the program, we have other exercises in mindfulness, um, which is, one, one would be um, the raisin exercise where you eat a raisin and you just try to be aware of like the texture and the flavor and just bring focus and awareness to one little eating moment mm. and it trains you for the rest of it. Something else you touched on is is the idea of of not having shame when choosing the foods, or or, or if you decide to eat a, a food, even if you're being mindful in, in this you know experience that you're kind of describing. Um, can you talk about because that's something else I have have touched on on this show a lot? Is the idea that I, I think that self shaming is a thing that a lot of people, and I say that because I myself uh, was in this camp for a long, long time. Self-shaming is a tool that a lot of people employ, and it's not effective <laughs> at all. <laughs> now, at all. It has real ramifications. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
it does. It has an effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's very powerful, but not in the direction that at least most people, and again, myself, when I was in that camp are using it for, um, can you, can you elaborate on, on that a little bit? Yeah. So we have the inner critic, right? We Mm. have the critic's voice and we have the, the self shaming that we do and it can be incredibly painful. I, and I guess my argument is, is if it were effective, wouldn't we all be exactly where we want to be right now? Right. Because I'm sure we've all had that moment of, oh, I did this thing. How could I do that? Let alone, let's just, I need to be better. I need to, but it actually seems to have the opposite effect. Mm. The more you shame yourself, the less um, capable you feel. Um, the less loving you feel, if we're talking about food and nourishment and nurturing yourself, um, there is a whole narrative that starts with, I don't deserve it, right? Mm. I didn't eat well yesterday, so I don't deserve to have this today. It's, it's really, um, detrimental to one's health, mental health and so physical health, I think. Yeah. You know, I'd never really thought about this before, but to some extent, shame um, is actually kind of antithetical to mindfulness because shame is all about connecting whatever is happening now to things that have happened in the past or to things that are we think will happen, we're predicting to happen in the future, or maybe a combination of those two. But it all is tied to things that are not now. I love that point because it's really hard to be shameful in the present, isn't it? It's shameful over what I did or shameful yeah. of, over what I fear I might do. So that's a really you're, that's a really valid point. I love that, that it's not it it's not working with mindfulness. So sure, shame. I have a very also this might be tough for people to hear, but I've, I've been thinking about a new perspective on shame mm. and guilt. Mm. So I guess, I guess something I might ask, what do you think the purpose of guilt is? Um, I guess, do you mean like, I feel guilty about something that I participated or am responsible for, or I'm seeking to make someone else feel guilty? Does that make sense? I guess self guilt. Like if you, if you're, if you feel guilty for something, what do you think the purpose of that is? Um, I guess it's to try and, and think about it in such a way that you wouldn't do it again. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I think too. And I think that's what a lot of us are told and Mm -hmm. historically. And then I've started thinking about, so you do something you feel guilty about. I'm going to use an analogy. Like uh, I yell at my kids, right? Mm -hmm. I yell at my kids. I feel so guilty. I yelled at my kids. And then supposedly that's supposed to make me not yell at them again. But what happens is I yell at my kids because it releases tension Mm. and it feels good. And then I tell myself and I beat myself up. Oh, you're the worst. You're horrible. You yelled at your kids. In a sense, that gives me a pass, right? So now I get to do it again. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I made myself feel so bad. I served my time, right? Yep. I think that, so that resonates with me a lot. Um, 
I, um, I, I used to be in a situation where I, and I won't name the individual cause you know, whatever, <laughs> not trying to put other people's business out, but there was an individual that I would interact with and I would get frustrated and I would, uh, allow myself to express that frustration. Now to be clear, I didn't like attack anyone or anything. It wasn't, it wasn't horrifying like that, but I would speak to this person in a way that is not, not fun. Right. That, and, and then I would feel bad about it afterwards. And oftentimes I would apologize. And I then eventually realized that like this apology that I'm doing, this whole ritual of this mm. is actually just a part of the bad part of it, right? Because of exactly what you just said. It's like, by saying, sorry, I'm being accountable, but true accountability would be to stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not apologize for it. And that apology, though, came out of out of a sense of guilt that I'm telling myself yeah. to have, right? Uh, so yeah, no, I think that you're 100% correct on that. And, and something else that you said in that, though, that I think is you know, you said this might be hard for people to hear. I think maybe the hardest part for people to hear in that, and I don't, and really for us as individuals to hear is I yelled at my kids. It released attention. Okay. We can all understand that. And then the next thing was it felt good. And what you mean is obviously that releasing the tension felt good. Yeah. Right. But I think that it can be scary to admit that Yeah. because then it's like, well, now am I saying it feels good to yell at my kid? Oh, I don't feel, I, I don't want to say that. And so then if you don't, if you can't say that, well, now that's just kind of at an impasse because we can't solve a problem that we won't acknowledge. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that if you move that towards food, yep. right. If you're someone who uses food to manage their emotions, mm. And you eat the thing, whatever it is for you. And then afterwards you, you're like, ah, oh, and you, you, you call yourself names and you say things that you would never say to another human being and you beat yourself up and you berate yourself. And in a sense, the next time you go to eat the thing, you've done your, your penance, right? You've done, as long as you beat yourself up afterwards, you can do the thing you can right. eat the thing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I used to, I used to have uh, just to be completely transparent. I used to have this same relationship with food. I mean, I was talking about me and another person, but I used to have the same relationship with food to a point where I had another friend who was eating <laughs> very unhealthy things. <laughs> we'll just say without getting into the details and was telling me about it, but was almost like bragging to me about it. Yeah. And it made me really uncomfortable because I was like, which this is how twisted this shame stuff can make a person again, myself in this example, I was, I was a bothered that they were as comfortable as they were sharing it with me again, almost felt like bragging. Um, and then I was like, how are you not like, <laughs> I use this, I like, like a Catholic priest or something, yeah. how are you not flogging yourself over the shoulder right now? Like, shouldn't you be, super embarrassed and i said this to the person and they were just like i don't know i mean i'm not i think me bragging about it is kind of a way of me trying to soften it by joking about it but yeah but they were like but i don't 
I don't do any of the rest of what you talked about. <laughs> and I thought they were crazy. <laughs> Turns out I was crazy. Um, not that their approach was, was necessarily getting them to a healthier place, but simply that like, especially for me, who is so deep in this practice of self-shame, I mean, it took a long time to get myself out of it. And I'm, I'm even discovering as you wouldn't because you're my coach, but could because you're my coach attest to there are layers to this that I'm discovering even still that were, were so subconscious for so long. Um, so I, I, yeah, anyway, I I don't even know where I'm at now. I just know that whatever you said resonated with me a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe telling my own stories like I always do. Um, Anyway, yeah, the, the idea the idea of the self-shame doesn't go anywhere and the idea of being mindfulness is or being mindful is hugely powerful. And yeah, and I love that the the idea or the the realization that that actually can't exist with shame because it's not possible to be mindful in the moment and also be thinking about the past and the future because that's literally the opposite of what being mindful means. Exactly. That's that's a powerful concept. Um, and then I think something that's also comes up with, you know, with food, like is connection and community. Mm. Uh, I think that's come into play a lot, um, in recent years and, um, there've been studies. It's, it's not even so much what you eat. It's with whom do you eat? Mm. So your community influences you. For the better or the worse. Yeah. 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 I would say, I mean, so, uh, yet again, I'm just diving into my own stories. Um, welcome to the walk show. Um, (laughs) whenever the pandemic started, obviously, you know, everyone's on lockdown and you can't see people. Well, I live alone and, uh, one of my closest friends from childhood lives just a few doors down from me. He also lives alone or at that time did. And so he was like, Hey, neither of us see anyone else ever and whatever. I think we could probably hang out and it's fine. So we at least have some human connection. Okay, great. That's fine. So we hung out. Well, right at that time, he went, switched to a completely vegetarian and ultimately, I don't know all the terms, completely 100% plant-based diet, we'll just say. Um, I mean, to the point where he won't eat bread if it's got eggs in it or something, right? Like no, no animal based food whatsoever for him. Um, I didn't completely adopt that diet choice myself, but I was fascinated by it. And I began and did for about a year. I didn't buy meat at the grocery store. Now I would still eat meat if I went out to eat somewhere or something, or if I went to someone else's house for dinner. Um, so I wasn't again ultra strict about it or something, but I just decided not to base my meals around meat. I just wanted to see what it would be like if I cooked meals that were based with vegetables only. And, um, and that I think was largely in part because the only person who I was ever around (laughs) had this conviction about how they were going to change their diet. And that just kind of, you know, I was exposed to it a lot and, and it became something that I was interested in trying myself. But if he hadn't been around, I think there's probably 0% chance that happens. And to be clear, I even liked it. You know, it wasn't like mm-hmm. it was a burden or something, but 
Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that's something that's not considered very often. Yeah. And I can remember like, here's the thing too. Um, disordered eating is contagious as well. Mm. I can remember in dorm rooms. Um, yeah. It's almost like the most disordered eating wins out. And then on the flip side of that, it's like family, holidays, community, right? The things that link us together. That's the beauty of the way food and food rituals bind us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, certainly I can say, I mean, for most of my adult life, if there's a friend that I don't see on a regular basis for, you know, through a group activity that we do or, you know, work or whatever it is. If I, if, if I have someone that I don't otherwise have a consistent connection with, I mean, I don't, I don't typically ask them to go for a walk or something like I ask them if they want to go get lunch or go get dinner. Right. So, um, it's definitely a very common way to socialize. It is. It's important. And I mean, I think that's a, a reason why certain religions have certain food rituals and if you're a person that's trying you're in an alien land and you're trying to keep your culture you restrict the food rules so you can't just socialize with everybody it's very powerful and that's part of why in um crave i talk about what are your rituals around food preparation who do you who do you prepare food with who do you eat with and even if it's yourself how do you make it an occasion. How do right. you, how do you say, how do you put intention on this food that you're about to eat? It didn't come to you magically, whatever your religious affiliation or whatever hands brought it to you. How can you take a moment to say, I'm eating this for the nourishment of my body so that I can do what, what do you want to do with your life? It's an opportunity. Yeah. So that's something that's come up um, for me recently is this idea of, of ritual and in a, in a, a more, um, I don't know, boring <laughs> context, just like a, a, a cue, right. For, for a habit, right. Which is mm-hmm. kind of what you're talking about with the ritual, right. It's like mm-hmm. a thing that you're doing to, to make sure that you're being intentional about whatever they are in this case eating and that links Um, back to mindfulness yeah exactly mm, right right so that that's something that i'm i think that the word i do this all the time i complain about words that none of us choose um so i'm not complaining at you i i feel like the word ritual sounds like ceremony like that's what it makes me think of when i hear Mm -hmm. ritual Mm -hmm. and the idea of ceremony every time I, I do anything sounds like too much, right? Too special, too special. Yeah. Well, and just like, I don't know, like I, I, why would I go through a 10 minute thing? Or uh, the point I'm trying to get to though, is that ritual doesn't, doesn't have to mean ceremony, right? Mm, like, right. It doesn't have to mean giant production. Like ritual could be something very small. Does that make sense from going with that? Yeah. It's just one moment of consciousness, right? It doesn't have to be lighting 17 candles. (laughs) Right. Thank you. Calling in the directions. (laughs) And no, it could just be one minute. Oh, I'm about to eat this. Let me think about that. 
Right. Let me think about that. I remember I was part of a group that we all agreed that we were just going to do the same sort of blessing over our food. And mm. it was it was hysterical, the amount of drama that that caused. I'm going <laughs> to say this word because I don't mean that. Okay, fine. And so, But we all just agreed that we were going to do that. And then somebody put posted on the group, I didn't know this was a diet because I went to do the ritual over these Cheetos and she was like, and I will be damned if I will bless those Cheetos for the nourishment <laughs> of my body. She's like, I couldn't eat them. She was like. Yeah. There's something real to that though, right? There's something real to that where, um, I, I don't know. This is now like I'm yet again, wild tangent rabbit hole thing. There's in, in a little conspiratorial sounding perhaps, but like when I, so when I was growing up, the, the, the nutritional foundation that we were all taught was the food pyramid, right? Mm-hmm. And the food pyramid <laughs> suggests that the thing you want to eat the most of is bread, uh, followed by dairy, followed by meat, followed by veggies. I think, I don't know. I might be getting it wrong. It actually doesn't matter if I'm getting it wrong because the whole thing is farcical mm-hmm. because it was created by the American Dairy Association. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> who wanted to sell more of the things that they. So my point just being that, like, I think that they're with food, maybe more than any other, maybe more than any other, I don't know, product category. That's a bad way to say it, but whatever. Any other item like that in our lives, like there's a there's a comfort that we have with really low quality that we don't question. And again, when I say all of these things, I am in this, this camp, I, you know, but I mean to eat something like Cheetos, which I've eaten plenty of Cheetos, but if you eat Cheetos, like there's nothing about that. That's actually nutritious other than it is calories. So if you don't have any other source of calories, then it's a really nutritious meal, I guess. But otherwise it's probably not. But it's just so common, right? It's just so normal yeah. to to have that stuff that it's almost it almost feels like you're like going against the grain to be like ah, I'm anti whatever, you know? <laughs> right. Well, and that that does get into a whole thing, right? Of um, food identity, right? Mm-hmm. How how you identify with what foods you eat and that puts you in a certain socioeconomic class, puts you in a certain culture, puts you in it, right? It's very, look, food is a huge metaphor. Why do you think it's such a big, why are so many people struggling with it? Because it symbolizes everything. You can't give it up and live, right? It's not like alcohol or any other kind of thing. You, Mm -hmm. You even, let's say you do have an addiction. Well, you still have to eat. Right. So it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. It, it has to do with culture and it has to do with, and I, I found that for my clients and for people that I know, and for myself, uh, intuitive eating, meaning if your body wants it, even if it's Cheetos, mm-hmm. trust your body and do what you have to do. And also if a part of you, if have a, have a ritual, have a community, have, and bless those Cheetos. <laughs> bless those Cheetos. Yeah. And if, and if part of you says, well, that feels weird. Well, that seemed, that sounds like body wisdom to me. Yeah. 
I, this is also a, a random comment, but if you if you decide that Crave needs to become a book or something, we're just we're just spitballing here. Mm-hmm. Let's say Crave becomes is going to become a book, and you go to a publisher, and they're like, "We love it, but there's already there's already a Crave," and you'd be like, "Oh, all right." Number runner up title, and the Crave may be available. I'm not I'm not trying to 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 kibosh Crave there. If Crave is unavailable, number two, bless those Cheetos. That's your number <laughs> two looking title. Just just put you it know out. What? I'm moving it up to number one. I okay. Think <laughs> That's the best title. <laughs> I don't bless know if there's cheetos. a copyright that maybe maybe bless those cheesy puffs. Something more <laughs> generic. Cheesy you puffs. don't want to end up in court, right? Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to end up in court over this. I I accept no liability based on this podcast, by the way. Um, so, um, well, no, I I think it's I think it's awesome. Um, I think it's super cool that you've created this. Uh, obviously, I'm a huge. Um, <laughs> fan of yours. I don't know if that's really the right phrase, but I think the work that you do is incredible. And I love to see that you're branching this out and have created a program for something that, again, I think affects a ton of people um, and and is something that can really help help a lot of people. And especially in this modern age of, of social media, I was talking about this recently with another, another lady, but, you know, like, like what in the era when I was a kid, for example, you know, pre-internet or early internet before social media, at least all of the, the image shaming stuff came from magazines and underwear ads. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and now that that doesn't still exist, it does. But like, there was like everyone at, even if people thought, Oh, I should look more like that model. There was still it somewhere, some understanding of like, that is a professional model though. Mm -hmm. Right. But in social media, and especially now with all the filters and stuff we've got, it, it's we don't have that same distinction, right? Like, yeah, look at pictures of people all day long that are a hundred percent doctored, uh, photoshopped, whatever, <laughs> optimal lighting condition taken photos, and we don't know that at all, right? And, yeah. and some do, but but so I just I think that the the body shaming. Um, sentiment and a lot of it is self-shaming i think is probably higher at this point than it has ever been because of that right because there's so many examples constantly to compare oneself to that's such an interesting point because yeah there used to be models like teen magazine or whatever Mm -hmm. and now it's on instagram and they're quote unquote real people so yeah it seems even more pervasive and and powerful Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, and now it's not someone that's on a billboard that you actually don't even know their name. Now it's mm. the person that you used to work with or you do work with now or whatever. And it's like, oh, that's what they look like. I should look more like that. And th- and then you get into this whole world of comparisons, which ultimately leads to shame in one direction or another. Because even if you think you're the one that looks better, now <laughs> you're shaming the other person. <laughs> even if mm-hmm. you're Right. So, yeah, which is just as detrimental for <laughs> right. sure. <laughs> right. Um, well, Ashley, I have had, uh, as always, an absolute blast chatting with you about this this evening. Um, is there anything else that we didn't touch on yet with Crave that you'd like to, to highlight? Um, just that it's a program that's available that's um, positive and empowering, um, eliminating body shame, 
look, you're going to have one relationship that's going to last the rest of your life Mm. guaranteed. And that's with your body. So make it a love affair. I like it. And so, yeah, if anyone, um, and I, I, I won't do it now because it'll embarrass you, but in the intro, I'll go on and on about how, um, how great you are. Um, unless you'd like me to do it now. I'm blushing already. So <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> really, it's hot in here already. <laughs> I know you. Oh, that's so funny. You know me well. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I cannot encourage people to work with you enough. Um, I think that I think that coaching in general is something that everyone should do. And it's something I talk about, you know, when we think about physical fitness, um, everyone knows that if you broke your leg, you'd go to the doctor. And if you tore your shoulder, maybe you go to a physical therapist. And if there's a problem, you would go seek treatment for it. And that's certainly true in the mental health space as well. However, we all also understand that even if you're not injured physically, it's pretty reasonable to engage in physical activity. Maybe go to the gym or go on walks or whatever it is you want to do, but do something to help keep your physical health engaged and help keep it at a place where you want it. Even if it's already pretty close to where you want it, the same thing is true when it comes to the mental side of it. And so I just, I can't encourage people enough to get a coach because it's like developing an exercise routine doesn't mean that something is injured and it doesn't mean that you want to become an Olympic athlete. Um, but there's value in it for, for everybody. Um, so if anyone is interested in, in, in reaching out and maybe, uh, talking to you and to see if crave is something that could work for them. Um, I, I understand we've got your email at Ashley Thomas coaching at gmail.com. Is that the best place for, for people to reach out? That's the best place. Just shoot me an email. I'd be happy to um, hop on the phone with you, have a discovery call, talk about your specific situation and goals. And I'm just looking forward to offering this to everyone out there. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure and have uh, your email address there in the show notes. Um, Again, Ashley Thomas, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Walker. Pleasure talking to you as always. We are your Satiated on the primeval bay And every branch is cut and consumed Our social circles are living on two Broken lanes in the tree.
that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Ashley for stopping by and sharing her walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show, and of course, thank you for listening. I also invite you to check out my other show, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a podcast about video games where we talk about why gaming matters, which you can find on any podcast app. As always, thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Stay up.